At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. This is how God shows His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You didn't love God first. I didn't love God first. God loves us first. It's who He is, and He takes preeminence as the initiator. He loves us first. Hello, and welcome to the FBC Sermon Podcast. Today's sermon is entitled, The Road We Pray On by Nate Damon. It was based on Psalm 118, 1-9. We hope you enjoyed today's sermon. Well, good morning. Is it on? Yeah, good. Well, uh, quick introduction. My name is Nate Damon. I'm one of the part-time pastors here at FBC. I also, uh, my wife and I uh, have worked uh, on part-time staff with the Navigators for many years. The Navigators is an international, interdenominational Christian ministry whose purpose uh, is to know Christ, make him known, and help others to do the same. My wife Caroline and I moved here to work as campus missionaries with the Navigators, Uh, and since moving to Amherst 10 years ago, we added two children to the two children we already had. It makes four, just so you know. Um, It's a lot of kids. Um, All of them have gone through Crocker Farm Preschool here in town, and this fall, our oldest will be starting middle school, which is quite a milestone. Um, Here's my summary of today's message. I believe that what we believe to be true about God directly impacts the way we experience daily life. If we believe that God is distant, against us, 
and full of hatred towards us and the world, we are more likely to be angry, anxious, lonely, and depressed. But thankfully, the Bible teaches us a very different perspective that leads us to experience a more abundant life. And it's the kind of life that we can't just keep to ourselves, but we want to and have to share it with other people. So um, I've entitled this message, The Road We Pray On. And as, uh, as we begin, let's just commit this time again to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of truth, a God of mercy, a God of grace, and one who wants to draw near to us even now. And so God, would you open up our minds, open up our hearts, help us to listen intently for your voice to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I just mentioned that we used to drive our kids to preschool. Well, I mentioned they went to preschool. We had to drive them to preschool. And, and as we did, uh, all four of them went to the same preschool, uh, as we did, there was one particular road that we would pray on. And it just, it just kind of happened that way. I made a habit of praying for my kids on the way to school. And turning onto this one road was kind of the, the trigger in my mind of, okay, now it's time to pray for my children. And so it became known in our family as the road we pray on. And, and I didn't really mean for this to happen, but as I prayed for my children, it would be pretty, a, a pretty similar prayer almost every day. And so I'm not, I'm not uh, too much of a liturgical person, but it was this liturgy, this, this res, almost a recited prayer that I would pray over my children on the way to school every morning. What I want to share with you this morning is just one part of that prayer, and it is this. I would pray over my children that they would be aware that God is with you, God is for you, and God loves you. These are really simple but profound truths. And before you dismiss this as something you already know, let's decide together to exercise our God-given curiosity. Let's examine first whether or not these ideas are biblical truths to be trusted, to be relied on, and then let's decide, reflect, rather, on whether or not these simple truths are impacting our daily lives. So let's look at this first one together. God is with you. If we look at Psalm 118, 6 to 7, it says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. It says it twice in this one little passage, these two verses. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. Sometimes for us humans to have another human with us, and sometimes I know some people, even a, even a, a, a beloved pet, okay, just, right? Yes. Uh, even a beloved pet. Uh, having the company of another, uh, even, even though the human or the pet is not particularly good, or particularly powerful, just knowing that someone else is with you, and is it, that, that fact in and of itself is soothing, helpful, and encouraging. To know we are not alone in the world is a great gift because we are relational creatures designed for relationships with one another. And now let's begin to think with me for a minute. For those who are familiar with the biblical text, let's begin to think back 
on this idea of God's desire to be near to his people, his desire to draw near to us, to be with us. From the very beginning and on into forever, God's desire is to be near to us. We see this first in Genesis. And we, from Genesis 3, 8, we, we kind of understand that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day in the garden, that God was with him, walking with him in the garden. If we fast forward a little bit, we, we remember that in Exodus, when God brought his people out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, he showed up, his appearance was like a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire that would guide them and lead them through the desert. In the desert, he gave them instructions how to build a tabernacle, how to build a tent for worship to God. The whole point of the tabernacle was that God, his presence would dwell among his people. He wants to be with his people. And then in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles, the temple that David designed, he passed the designs on to his son Solomon, and Solomon built a temple. And in that temple, people would gather to worship God because they believed that God's presence was uniquely in that place. God being with his people. And then there's Jesus. And in the message translation, it talks about how Jesus moved into our neighborhood. Uh, another way to say it was he, he took on flesh. God in the flesh came into our world, became like one of us, so that he could be near us, near to us. And then you think about this. Upon his death, what happened? In three of the Gospels, it talks about how the curtain in the temple that separated God's presence, the holy place, from the rest of the temple, from the rest of the world, that curtain tore from top to bottom. What was this doing? It was releasing God's presence into the world. He was, it's not confined to one, one space anymore. God wants to be with his people. Then think about the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given by God to confirm and convict and remind and guide. This is a great gift that we have from God. His very presence in us. He wants to be with his people. And then we have this future hope. This future hope that culminates with the wedding feast. With, with Christ Jesus, the bridegroom, and the church, his bride, coming together finally as one. And we have a vision of heaven and earth coming together. In Revelation 21, God is with you. So throughout the scriptures, the authors tell us again and again that God desires to be near to his people. He describes the great lengths that God goes to in order to make it possible. It's a comfort to know that we are not alone in the company of others or maybe even in the company of a beloved pet, like I said. How much more of a comfort to know that the God who's revealed in the scriptures, who's both powerful and good, that this God desires to be with us. So when? When is he with us? When is he near to us? Are there times where he is present? Are there times when he is distant? Well, I would suggest to you that when you try and you fail and you fail to try, he's with you. When you win, he's with you. When you lose, he's with you. When you feel like a success, when you feel like a failure, he's with you. When you are sad, when you are happy, when you are depressed, when you're over the moon with joy, in your hurting, in your pain, in your sickness, in your doubts, in your discoveries, when you're filled with wonder, in your fears, in your weaknesses, in your times of growth, he's closer than your very breath. The Spirit of God is in you. He's around you. He's beside you. God is with you. 
Another way to say that is that no matter what emotions of life you are experiencing, God is with you. No matter what circumstances in life that you are facing, God is with you. He sees you, and he willfully, purposefully, and intentionally draws close to be with you. In fact, you can't escape God's presence. Did you know that? You can't escape it. Let's look at this next verse. Psalm 139 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise in the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. You cannot escape God's presence. Another verse from Isaiah 43 says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Here's another um, couple verses from the New Testament. Matthew 28, at the end of the Great Commission, what does Jesus say to his disciples? After he says, go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And Jesus says in John 14, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. So I think we can make a, we can, we can say it's biblical. <laughs> There's a good case for this. God is with you. When is he with you? All the time. Where is he with you? Everywhere. You can't hide. And why is he with you? Because he wants to be near to you and for you to be near to him. Let's look at the second point. God is for you. In Psalm 118, 5, 8, and 9, it says, When hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. I kind of, just for that, I kind of think of the sound of music, the beginning, opening. Has anyone seen that? Yeah? Familiar with Anyone not seen it? I won't call you out. It's an old movie. Um, but the opening of that, of that film is, it, it, she's on this mountain, right? It's a broad space. You can see miles and miles. When, when hard-pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in humans. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. God is for you. I want to tell you a quick story. Um, one night, I believe I heard God speak to me, and it wasn't in a time that I would expect to hear from, from him, Okay. Why, why wouldn't I expect to hear from him? Because I was sinning, okay? Because I had done the same thing again that I promised that I wouldn't do again. And I was fed up with my sin. I was fed up with myself. And I remember just being so distraught about the fact that I couldn't control myself. That's what I felt. That I was in bed and I, I remember praying, God, when is it going to be one too many times? When is it going to be that last time and you're done with me? 
And, and this is interesting. I, I don't know if this is from my upbringing, but this, this is the line that came to me. God, when are you going to smite me? Okay, do you know what the word smite means? It's basically like squish. It's like hammer, right? Smite, like an insect, like a mosquito. You smite mosquitoes, flick them off. And they kind of had that impression. God, when are you going to be done with me? When are you going to smite me? And, and in the moment, I believe that God spoke to me in my heart. And he said, Nathan, I guess he calls me Nathan. Nathan, <laughs> how quickly you forget that I have already dealt the death blow. And it didn't land on you. It landed on my son. I believe that God spoke that to me. And, you know, I think just believing that uh, has made a big difference in my life. Um, what I think is unique about that and the way that God speaks to us in, in those kinds of ways is he doesn't excuse our sin. He doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't say, oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Keep on sinning. That's not what God says. It is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that God has dealt the death blow on Jesus on our behalf. What that means for us is that we can live. We can live. And we can live with, life's, with, with a life of gratitude for what God has done for us. God destroys our sin, he punishes our sin, and then he gives to you, gives to us the righteousness of Christ. And we see, this goes back even to the beginning. Since the moment Adam and Eve rebelled in the Garden of Eden, his plan was to make all things new. Remember, he covered Adam and Eve in their nakedness. He rescued Israel from slavery. He gave them rules to live by and even extending mercy to them when they ran after other gods. And then the compassion of Jesus as he saw people as sheep without a shepherd. I want to, and I want to look at that passage real quick from Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. I think that's ministering to people's minds. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. I think that's ministering to their souls. And healing every disease and sickness. I believe that has to do with our physical well-being, the people's physical well-being. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think this is a great example that God is for you. When is he for you? All the time. Even in our temptation, he's for us. Even in overcoming temptation, even in our failure, God is for us. And how is he for us? And, and I want to look at this, this other passage from Romans chapter 8. And this is one of the ways that God demonstrates the fact that he is for you. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Interceding, that, that idea of interceding, coming between one person and another, speaking on behalf of one person to another. 
The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. We see in this passage both the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son are interceding to the Father on our behalf. This is amazing. God is for you. And finally, I just want to talk for a few minutes about the fact that God loves you. Maybe this was evident as we read uh, Psalm 118, 1 through 9. Look for the repeated phrase here. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Did you catch the repeated phrase there? It's pretty obvious. They didn't have highlighters back then. But this repeated phrase, his love endures forever. And I think there are three, uh, three things that I want to point out. But, but before I do, let me just um, give, give a, a quick story about uh, meeting my wife. Okay? It's always a fun story to share, to share about. So my wife Caroline and I, we've been married 14 years now. Next year is 15. Yep. 14 years. And we met on a blind date. How about that? That's pretty good. Sometimes they work. So we met on a blind date. And now my sister was the one who set us up. And so we met at Bertucci's in Lexington, Massachusetts. I don't know if anyone knows where that is, but it's a good restaurant. We go back there every year on December 23rd because that's when we met. So at Bertucci's in Lexington, I asked her some questions because I wanted to know why did my sister think that this woman would be good for me and I for her? So it was kind of an interview. It was. It was kind of an interview. So why do you go to the church you go to? And, and uh, so what got you in the campus ministry to begin with? And uh, questions like that. Um, I kind of laugh about it now, but it's really true. It's what I did. And then there's another uh, another. Um, conversation that we had not too, not too further, not, not too farther along, too much further along. And it was a pivotal conversation for us. And in this question, I, I think I was continuing my interview process. Okay? I said, I asked questions like, so, you know, just to throw it out there, what do you think the purpose of life is? Okay. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. <laughs> I, I liked her answer, by the way. And then, uh, and then I asked, um, you know, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Because I want to see, you know, I, I, I like a particular part of the country. Does she, would she be okay living there or not? And then, uh, would you be okay being married to someone in full-time ministry? That's a big deal. Not everyone's cut out for that. And so uh, the, her answers to these questions gave me the thumbs up. <laughs> And so I got to know her 
before I allowed myself to fall in love with her, okay? And that probably doesn't sit very well with you, and that's okay. (laughs) Because while there might be some wisdom here in this, uh, I admit it is a very different way uh, from the way that God loves people. You see, God is love, and God loves us first. And nothing can separate you from his love. So let's just look at a couple passages that talk about these three ideas. God is love. God loves us first. And nothing can separate you from his love. The first idea, God is love. When Moses said, God, show me yourself. And God does. This is how God reveals who he is. And he says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It is part of who God is. And then later, John, who walked with Jesus, John, who was best friends with Jesus, writes this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. God is love. This is part of his character that he loves us. It's part of who he is. But did you earn it? Did you have to do anything special for it? No, you didn't. And so let's look at the next slide here. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Then read from from John again. I like John. This is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You didn't love God first. I didn't love God first. God loves us first. It's who he is, and he takes preeminence as the initiator. He loves us first. And finally, I just want to assure us that nothing can separate you from his love. Paul writes this in the book of Romans. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you from his love? Nothing. Nothing can separate you from his love. Do you believe it? God loves you. When does he love you? All the time. Before you're even aware of him. Before you're even born. He knew you. He loves you. Where does he love you? Everywhere. Nothing can come between him and his love for you. 
And how does he love you? He lays down his life for you so that you can live. Why does he love you? Because God is love, and you're the intention of his affection. I was struggling over that word, intention. I told the worship team this morning, as I came in here, I was like, I have the word. I want to say this, but I don't know how to say this. Because I was trying to use other words, like target. You were the target of his affection. I'm like, ah, that's kind of militant. I don't like that. You are the, um, you're the object of his affection. No, it's not material. It's not, you know, you're not a thing. You're a person. But I think the intent, the intention kind of gets to that point. You're the intention of his affection. He's pursuing you. Even before you have any idea he is there, he loves you. He loves you first. So in conclusion, what's next? Here's what I think we should do. I think we should respond to God. He's with you. You need to remember that he's with you and desires for you to be with him. So spend time with him. He's with you already, but be aware. Take time to be aware that he is with you in your day-to-day living. No matter what you're doing, He's there with you. Also remember, God is for you. So get to know his ways and begin to desire his ways to be a reality in your life. Desire for his ways to be a part of the community that you find yourself in. Desire for his ways to be a part of this church body and the capital C church that's around this region and around the world. And God loves you. So worship him. Let him lead you and guide you. Accept and receive his love for you. And respond to his love in love towards him. So uh, finally, who, who might you tell this to? Is there someone you need to share this with? How might you come alongside them this week to be with them? What would it look like for you to be for them? And, and that doesn't mean you're for every cause they have or agree with them politically or socially. or Do you know what I mean? It's... It, it means that you're for them, not for a cause. Does that make sense? What does it look like to be for them? And how might God be asking you to extend his love through you towards them this week? Well, I don't have kids in preschool anymore. Um, Danny's going to be in first grade next year. But we do still try to pray in the mornings together before they go to school. And summer's different, and in the fall we'll have to we'll have a middle schooler, so we're, we gotta rethink our morning schedule. Um, but I was gonna I was gonna tell you what road uh, this road we pray on is, just so you know, in case you know you've been driving by and feel like it's a particularly holy part of Amherst. <laughs> it's Pomeroy Lane, Pomeroy Lane, and it's just be, that became the, the road we prayed on. So what if we really believe that God is with us and for us and loves us? What difference would that make for you and for those you love and for the world around you? I think if you choose to believe that God is distant against you and hates you, you will constantly be looking over your shoulder. You will more likely be angry, anxious, lonely, and depressed. But if, on the other hand, you choose to believe that God is with you, that he's for you, and that he loves you, you will be able to live from a secure place of peace with God that leads to peace with yourself, peace with others, and peace with all creation. You will be more likely to look for evidence of God's presence, ask for his help, and experience his love. And as a result, you will experience more abundant life. So much that you won't be able to contain it, you'll need need to give it away. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you are interested in learning more about what we do here at FBC, please visit our website, fbcamers.org. Also, consider subscribing to this podcast so you can get a notification when our weekly sermons are posted. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a great day.